0: Up Nation, one of my favorite things about the Rising Tide Mastermind is a session that we do called a full cup. And a full cup is where we bring a tip or a trick to each other that can really help improve our regular day to day. And a few months back, Eric Russo, member of the Mastermind and has been on the podcast several times, he brought to us the Rocket Book. Folks, the Rocketbook is amazing. The Rocketbook allows you to take notes just like you would on any other notebook, but it has a scanning feature that turns what you write into searchable text. It makes your notes able for you to find. This was a game changer for me, and I know it can be a game changer for you. We have an affiliate deal worked out with the Rocketbook folks, so you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook, and you can receive 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. My name is Trace Blackmore. I get to host the Scaling Up H2O podcast, which I am just so delighted is ranked in the top 3% of all podcasts. Nation, that is amazing to me. Thank you for being a supporter of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. We can't do that on our own, we can't do that with me just talking into a microphone. The only way we can do that is with the Scaling Up Nation. The Scaling Up Nation is amazing because you have been such a supporter of this podcast And I want to personally thank everybody within the Scaling Up Nation for all the things that you do. And maybe you're back there listening and you're thinking, I didn't do anything. Well, when you are listening, that means you are a member of the Scaling Up Nation. Most of you have told other people about this podcast, which has added to the membership of the Scaling Up Nation. And so many of you have either written in or gone to our webpage, scalinguph2o.com, gone over to our show ideas page and let us know what it was that you wanted us to talk about. Or maybe it was somebody you wanted us to interview. All of these things and so much more That's what everybody in the Scaling Up Nation has done, and with all of the stuff that they do within the podcast world and decide how podcasts are ranked, all of your hard work has been rewarded because the Scaling Up H2O has been ranked within the top 3% of all podcasts, and that is just so amazing to me. For fun, I looked into all of the things that they rate a podcast and here we go. So of course the number one thing are downloads and listeners. Another thing that they look at are ratings and reviews. By the way, that is something you can do to help us out. If you go to your favorite podcast player and leave a rating and review for us, that actually puts us higher in people's searches and that makes us easier to find for new Scaling Up Nation members. So with that, that would be something that you can help us do. Of course, people that subscribe to the podcast each and every week. And most people that listen to our podcast automatically subscribe. That's something that they look at. They look at the ranking that we are with other podcasts Uh, They look how we engage with the audience. And as you know, many of you are a subscriber to our newsletter. Many of you attend the regular hangs that we have each and every quarter where we get to hang out and meet each other in the Scaling Up Nation. Uh, People look at the influence that the podcast has, and that's kind of a scary thing to think about what influence we have, but I think the influence that we have is that we encourage people to learn more. We encourage people to do more. We encourage people to really have fun within their day-to-day. Another thing is awards and Recognition and there have just been so many people when we go to water conferences that say that they listen to this podcast, they share this podcast, they've done something as a result of this podcast. And uh, so many organizations like the International Water Conference have recognized the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Of course, the listeners, you get to rate the content quality. And we are delighted that our content gets rated very highly. How we are engaging with our listeners, and of course, we are doing that. Uh, With all of the things that I mentioned earlier, with uh, Q&A sessions at events, as well as special events like the hang that I mentioned earlier. And then they also even look at, do people wanna sponsor us? Are there people out there that see benefit of the podcast? And because of that, they want to talk about what they do so you can now know what they do and hopefully get in touch with them. So those are a few things that the powers that be that rank podcasts look at. And I am extremely humbled that we are in the top 3% of all podcasts. I don't know if you know the statistic, but over 90% of all podcasts do not make it a year. And we've been around for over five years. And that's, again, because of all of you. So once again, thank you, Scaling Up Nation. Please keep listening. And we, of course, will keep producing new episodes of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. When I go to conferences, one of the top things people thank me for is something that I don't do. It's something the great staff here does at the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and that's putting together all of the events that are happening within the world of water. So here are a few ones that you might want to put on your calendar. January 22nd through 24th in San Diego, California, the Clean Tech Forum is taking place, hosted by the Clean Tech Group, Also, you might be interested in BOMA's Winter Business Meeting and National Issues Conference. That's taking place in Washington, D.C., January 28th through 31st. And then the 2024 Winter Conference in Austin, Texas, taking place February 13th through 16th, hosted by the National Association of Clean Water Agencies. For information about all of these events and so many more, you can go to scalinguph2o.com, navigate over to our events page, and find out everything that you want to know about not only these three events, but every event that we are aware of. That way you don't have to take notes while you are listening to this podcast. And I know there are so many people that listen to this podcast while they're driving. So we are practicing safe driving within the Scaling Up Nation. So make sure your steering wheel and hands are in proper position. You are paying attention to the road while you are taking on all of this information and getting excited about about being in the world's best industry. And of course, that is industrial water treatment. I am so proud to be an industrial water trader, and I'm so proud to share that relationship with you. And of course, because of that, we are all members of the Scaling Up Nation. Nation, one of the original members of the Scaling Up Nation is our friend, James McDonald. And here is James with a brand new Periodic Water Table with James.
1: Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's Periodic Water Table topic, If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Magnesium hydroxide. The molecular formula for magnesium hydroxide is Mg parenthesis OH close parenthesis 2. That's one magnesium atom and two oxygen-hydrogen or hydroxyl groups. How does this compare to sodium hydroxide? In what form is magnesium hydroxide available? What color is it? How do you get magnesium hydroxide into solution? How much mixing does it need? What are its uses in industrial water treatment? Why would one use magnesium hydroxide over sodium hydroxide, lime, or other similar chemistries? Remember, knowledge is power and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable 23 and hashtag scaling up H2O. I look forward to learning more from you.
0: Well, thank you, James. One of the things I did not mention earlier that we are recognized for all the time is our wonderful guest. We have so many industry experts sharing their knowledge with us on this podcast. I would say that the knowledge base that we have in the archives of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, our second to none and if you go to scalinguph2o.com and you type in just about any water treatment topic you are going to find that we have interviewed an industry expert and one of the things I love doing is meeting new people within our industry and nation I know you're going to enjoy my next interview. My lab partner today is John Chrisman, Senior Water Process Engineer with Moliere. Welcome, John.
2: Thank you, Trace. I'm glad to be here. This is going to be a
0: lot of fun today. We always have fun on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. So, so buckle up. The fun is getting ready to start. Well, I'm curious, what does a Senior Water Process Engineer do?
2: Well, Moliere is a company that is new and we create nanobubbles in situ. And nanobubbles are a new technology. And my job as a water process engineer is to find value within water and wastewater systems that nanobubbles bring.
0: So we've had a few episodes on nanobubbles, so I'm looking forward to deepen our knowledge of this. And we're going to get all in to that. Uh, question I have for you, and I'm sure this is probably why a lot of your customers reach out to you, is uh, water scarcity. So a lot of times, we really don't realize how scarce our water supply is because we're very fortunate in the United States. We go to the faucet, the water comes out. So hence, we must have plenty of water. But that's not what your clients are having to deal with. So what does a typical client call sound like for you?
2: Well, that's a great lead-in. So how I got to Moliere is completely about water scarcity. So in my experience working as an operator in California, great place for water scarcity. I landed a job in the Central Coast with a special sanitary district. And an interesting thing happened. We started having issues with our wastewater treatment plant. Kind of out of the blue, kind of timed up with uh, the governor declaring an emergency for the drought. And really what it came down to was water scarcity, not the way that most people think. Our wastewater has become a lot more concentrated and people's habits haven't changed even though they're conserving water. So a lot of those habits are using soaps, surfactants, uh, different type of disinfecting agents, quaternary ammonium compounds, and all of these things used to have enough dilution because of the extra water that was coming in. Now we've taken away that water. We still have the same amount of waste and we have have the same amount of chemical products. So a lot of our customers call us because they're having random issues with loss of nitrication in their wastewater treatment process. Odors have increased problems with foaming in their anaerobic digesters. And it's totally random. Uh, all the engineers look at it They think everything's running fine. They're operating within their existing parameters, and they want to know what they can do about it.
0: I was just reading about something you just mentioned, and it was talking about things that the pandemic have caused. And, of course, during the pandemic, I think we all learned how dirty we were We never washed shopping carts before the pandemic. (laughs) Uh, I think we've gotten back to not washing them again, by the way. But one of the things that everybody relearned how to do was wash their hands. And I don't think anybody ever thought that, okay, we're washing our hands more. We're using more soap. We are having an impact on our wastewater systems.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting. And in fact, I was preparing my technical paper for the upcoming WEFTEC, So I was doing a little extra research to see what's new, what's come about from our look back at the pandemic. And one of the interesting articles that I found uh, was from Lysol, great maker of disinfectants, hard surface disinfectants, and they increased their production 12x. And it's remained that high since the pandemic. And then another great article says 70% of that goes to wastewater treatment plants. And so there's been a significant increase of these chemicals into wastewater facilities. So it's the unseen consequences of changing human habits. Lysol
0: makes soap. They also make a lot of disinfectants. So all of that's not being used up when we're using it in our household. So that's going to the wastewater facility. What's that doing to the bug population of our wastewater facilities that are supposed to eat all these things?
2: That's where it hits us the hardest. So all these chemicals can be considered amphiphilic compounds. So they're surfactants or surface active agents. So they're trying to Remove oils from your skin, from your clothes, and use water as a solvent to wash it away. When it comes to our wastewater treatment plants, those types of chemicals want to keep contaminants in solution. So things like primary clarifiers and DAFs don't operate as efficiently. But those chemicals carry on, whether they're bound to the solids, to anaerobic digestion, or whether they're uh, going to activated sludge, and they actually inhibit the respiration of nitrifying bacteria, they directly kill the bugs. And in anaerobic digesters, they inhibit methane formers. So a lot of issues there when it comes to treatment efficiencies. You need more air on the aerobic side. On the anaerobic side, you're dealing with sour digesters uh, not performing the way that they should. John, I'm
0: assuming the Lysol article is dealing more with the residential waste. How have things changed with industrial waste?
2: Well, that's very interesting. I actually discovered this problem with disinfection chemicals and surfactants back in 2016 because of an industrial user. I was managing a sanitary district and running their industrial waste program. So I was always working with industrial users to make sure that they weren't going to harm the municipal plant. Um, And sure enough, chemical toilet waste is very very difficult on wastewater treatment plants. And we were able to work with industrial users to change to different types of deodorant chemicals and eliminate some of those bulk discharges. But it really opened my eyes to all the other industries that are using them, Uh, specifically uh, food and beverage industry. So things have changed a lot for them because recalls, on food products uh, make headlines all the time. There's not a single food producer that wants to go through a product recall. It looks really bad. So all of these industries use these types of disinfecting products as clean in place procedures before and after every batch in their process. And that in itself is going to the wastewater treatment plants. Some in the industries have pre-treatment. And they actually find out that they kill their own bugs in the industrial pretreatment. And then others where they're discharging to the municipalities, they're starting to see the impacts of those clean-in-place procedures.
0: We have an adage in this industry, the solution to pollution is dilution. So it sounds like we just throw more water through this. We can dilute it. We can get back to normal. But we started this conversation all about water scarcity. So what now?
2: Yeah, precisely. I mean, we have to do something to actually deal with these chemicals and not just dilute them out. And to your point, the problem with water scarcity and the increased concentrations of waste is going up in industrial facilities, too, as they recycle more of their own water and use less. So really, we have to come up with a solution. And that's how I found the company that I'm currently working for.
0: So and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, uh, I know they've seen mandates with phosphorus and and what they can release with that and before that I think we saw it with molybdates and then with zincs and probably tin's going to be very soon. And if we go all the way back to probably the the 80s, we're we're looking at chromates and and all the things that that have been eliminated. So, surely, there are going to be some sort of laws enacted that we're going to have to do something. What do you think those laws are going to be?
2: Well, I think the EPA has already identified how these types of substances are going to be covered. And it's really when a plant does their toxicity assessment, their risk assessment, and industries that are contributing... 10 PDS holders or industries that have NPDS permits are going to have to look at whole effluent toxicity. And at that time, they're going to have to do an inventory of all the chemicals that are coming into the plant and making sure that they're not contributing. So I, I believe that the framework is already there. It just hasn't looked into that aspect of it yet. If you don't
0: mind, take us through that process. So somebody has a permit to discharge They're discharging. Maybe they're not even looking at what they're discharging. And then something happens at the plant and an investigation is started. What is that like?
2: Yep. So your plant can be running amazing and you do your quarterly whole effluent toxicity and you get high numbers. You get high numbers twice. Now you have to do something about it. And I believe it's called a TRA, a toxicity risk assessment. And you basically have to go through your entire plant and do an investigation to figure out why that happened. And a lot of plants, a couple that I've worked for, they never had the toxicity issue again. It was fleeting and they had to do this massive study and increase their sampling frequency at a huge expense. So it's not something easy to deal with. And one of the possible contributions could be an industrial user or somebody upstream.
0: And just in case any of our listeners don't realize this, this is serious because they're going to say you can no longer discharge. And then what do you do?
2: Exactly. You have to find, you know, some new form of treatment, taking it to the next level. And usually that has a huge capital implication and operations and maintenance costs that go with that.
0: So typically what we do is we try to figure out what's in the water that we don't want in the water. We figure out how to get it out of the water, and then it goes somewhere like a landfill or something like that. How are you involved in that
2: process? So our company Arnard technology actually works to partially oxidize these types of chemicals before they get to the biological process. And so we're able to break them down to a level where they're no longer toxic, and instead they're actually food for the biological process.
0: John, you shared with me an article about some work that you did with Golita, California. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yes, definitely. I used to actually be the operations manager at Golita before I came into my new role, and that's where I discovered this problem. And so Uh, I actually found in a treatment plant operator magazine that Moliere was removing surfactants from wastewater using nanobubbles. Since surfactants had been my issue for years now, I had to get them on site as quickly as I possibly could. So within two months, we had a full-scale pilot uh, installed at the Headworks right after screening and grit removal, but before primary clarification and we were just pulling a side stream out of a channel and recirculating it through a nanobubble generator. The results were immediate. Visually, there wasn't a stable foam on the top of the basins, uh, both the hydraulic equalization basin, the primary clarifiers. Everything cleaned up and odors went away, but I really saw improvements to the biology. Much more stable operations, uh, Consistent nitrification, denitrification. And ultimately, we were able to save about 40% on our energy bill through more efficient oxygen uptake from the bacteria, uh, more efficient oxygen transfer. And ultimately, we could do more with less biomass under aeration. So it was very exciting, something that you know ultimately made me want to be part of what this new technology is and bring that message to the entire community.
0: We have done a show before where we talked about bubble size does matter. So maybe we do a recap here. So we've got macro bubbles, micro bubbles, nano bubbles. What What's the difference?
2: So I can quote the size of nanobubbles. Nanobubbles are about 100 nanometers in diameter. That's the average. But nanobubbles have a very unique properties to them, different than micro and macro bubbles. When we talk about micro and macro bubbles, we're usually talking about oxygen transfer, dissolved oxygen. Nanobubbles aren't actually big players when it comes to either of those things. They really act as a chemistry that's so unique. So in clean water, nanobubbles are actually stable. And so they don't really diffuse much gas until they ultimately burst. Instead, they have a charged surface, they're hydrophobic, they don't coalesce together to form microbubbles. And because of those interesting properties based on their very small size, they actually attract certain chemicals to them oils, surfactants, QACs, fats, grease. And when that bubble that's storing all this energy inside of it bursts, it's literally releasing that energy that's breaking apart those complex compounds.
0: Something I found fascinating when I was researching this was how the bubbles affect the nitrogen load. As
2: an operator, why is that so important? So as far as what we're seeing with reduced water flows into wastewater treatment plants, Our waste is fundamentally changing and part of that is that the biological treatment process is starting where we don't want it to, it's starting in the collection system, it's starting in our primary clarifiers. So we're actually converting a lot of our organic nitrogen into ammonia along that process. So when you add nanobubbles into that system, you actually change which biology is going to start working first and prevent a lot of that ammonia release to the system. So you do see a significant drop in nitrogen loading from the point that nanobubbles are injected to wherever they're going to a biological process. When you
0: were working at the plant in Goleta, what's something that you know that you really feel that if everybody knew, it could really make a difference?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Well, one thing that I've learned from wastewater is that knowing just one thing doesn't go too far. That you have to learn something absolutely every day. But what I would say to other operators is consider these other types of chemicals that are coming into the treatment facility. You know, engineers typically aren't taking them into account for the design of their treatment plants. So if they're operating their plant within the loading design and it's just not working, sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's something else that's coming in. And so there are tests out there to test for QACs and other surfactants. But really, the best thing is look for the signs. And that's really like digester foaming, stable foam on your primaries or your EQ basin If you come in and it smells like laundry detergent on a Sunday morning, you're getting a lot of it.
0: I don't know if all municipalities offer this, but I live in Gwinnett County, Georgia. And in our water bill, they invited us to the water plant to kind of discuss some of the issues that they were having and what the end user could do. And we now, because my wife and I did that, one, I thought that was just so cool, so why wouldn't I do that? Uh, we now have a lower tier on our sewer. Anyway, what we saw there was so much solid waste that they had to comb out, rake out. I learned what a muffin monster was. I think they did a Dirty Jobs with uh, Mike Rowe on that once. Yep. So all of that, um, you know, you don't think, oh, if I put this dental floss down the toilet, it's not going to be a big deal or this non-flushable wipe. But when you see when everybody does that and what they're having to haul off, oh my goodness. So you've experienced all this. You've lived all of this. How can you speak a little bit into that?
2: Definitely. And, you know, my shameless plug for Glita Sanitary District is that they have done an amazing job the entire time that I was there for, for over nine years, reaching out to the community and bringing the community into the wastewater treatment plant to see what's going on. And so, through community outreach, you can do a lot. Through newsletters, you can inform the public. Gleta didn't have a fog problem at this time, you know, and that was due to uh, community outreach. Actually, I wrote an article in the local paper to inform the community about overusing surfactants. Everybody's switched out from you know, high-flow washing machines to low-flow in California, yet they're still using the same amount of surfactants. So it definitely helps to make those type of outreach to the community.
0: So you mentioned fats, oils, and greases, and that's the big problem that our county has. What are some tips that, in the household, we can do to help lessen that load when it gets to the water treatment plant?
2: Definitely. Well, back when there was newspapers around, it was great to mop up all your oil and grease with a newspaper and, and toss it in the trash. But one thing that you can do that's, that's really easy, they sell little squeegees for your pots and pans or you can just squeegee them out into the trash before you go ahead and wash your pots and pans. A great way to keep that out of the sewer system. And in fact, it's it's a great thing for a small sanitary district or an area to pass those out at community outreach events and engage people on how they can do that. Same question, but now for industry. Oh, for industry with fats, oils and grease. Yeah, that gets a little bit more challenging, of course. The biggest industries that contribute are uh, food service industry. And it, it's all about good capture between the, the restaurant and the pipe going out. And so having properly sized interceptors to collect oil and grease and properly maintaining them. John, my apologies.
0: I normally ask this at the top of the show, and I was so excited to get into our interview. I totally forgot, but I'm curious, what got you into this industry?
2: Well, that's a great question. I really love water and wastewater now, so I I like telling this story. I actually started out just finding a job, any job that I could when I moved out of my parents' house. And that job was uh, installing underground utilities. And so I was actually putting in sewer mains, water mains, and I saw the guys working for the city and I was like, you know, I know a lot about this. I bet you I could do that job really great. And so first job, water distribution treatment operator, and getting into the treatment side on the drinking water was great. And I saw the chemistry, the physical separation processes, I said I got to I got to really invest in this and so became certified as quickly as I could moved up as quickly as I could and the next step was taking a wastewater job there was a, a little bit of a pay increase but more than anything when I got involved with wastewater I said this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life and through increasing certifications studying hard going to school getting a bachelor's degree in engineering management, I was able to manage a sanitary district. And now I'm working with a water technology, a startup water technology company, bringing a solution you know, really to the planet with a innovative technology. So every conference that I go to, I'm, I'm, I'm around my people.
0: John, you mentioned certifications. What certifications do you hold?
2: So currently I have a California grade five wastewater treatment certification and a TCQ Texas uh, class A certification. On top of that, I have in California, a drinking water two in both treatment and distribution. And then beyond that, I'm a CWEA uh, laboratory technologist one. So some of those I've heard of,
0: The the question I have is, if somebody's working in this field, how do they find out what certifications they should hold?
2: That's a great question. If you're in California, it's usually pretty obvious your employer knows it. But really, it's great to reach out to your local WEA. They usually know what requirements there are, and they usually have class listings for your area. So they, they're a great resource for that.
0: When we were speaking right before the interview started, you were telling me you just got back from Wisconsin working with some cheesemakers. Tell us about that trip.
2: Yeah, definitely. We had an interesting installation of our technology in Wisconsin. So I got to learn not only about the cheesemaking process itself, but a lot about dairy wastewater and the best way to treat it. And I got to meet some really amazing wastewater operators. And so this trip was really to highlight the work that we had done with them and the amazing work that they were doing at their wastewater plant to both recover all the resources and all the energy that they could. But I also got to get in a room with about 70 operators. And they were all industrial waste, all at different dairies, and great experience to Find out what the needs were of the industry, and share my little bit of knowledge on this novel technology.
0: I'm trying to remember my knowledge of cheese making because we've got a couple of plants. So I think uh, renic, which is like a stomach enzyme, they they put in the water, and that creates the curds and the whey. They discharge the whey. What issue does that create downstream?
2: So it really comes back to some of the issues that most uh, industrial waste has in the food and uh, beverage industry is that they have to clean like no other. Interesting part about walking into a a food facility, they literally have foamers to hit your boots as you walk through every door. And that's just going down a drain into the wastewater plant. But each day in between each batch they have to do a thorough cleaning. And so those slug loads of disinfectant and surfactants just create all sorts of havoc for wastewater treatment plants and and the operators. And then the other thing with industrial waste versus uh, municipal is that it's not a constant or consistent flow. And there's usually not great communication between the production floor and the industrial facility. So when you're expecting to get food on a Monday for your plant and it doesn't come, that can do a lot of damage, especially when they double production on Tuesday. There's a lot of unforeseen issues that come into an industrial facility that, that really create challenges.
0: I'm willing to bet a lot of people are nervous to contact their municipality because they think if they now put themselves on the radar, that's going to cause some sort of pain for them later. And you're saying that's not the case.
2: I was referring more to the production in the factory and the the industrial wastewater. But you're right. It actually helps a lot to have that communication between the industrial and the municipal. If you're discharging to them and you can give them a heads up, opening those lines of communication just creates transparency and just really helps uh, the relationship. I can only imagine if that relationship was established
0: and there was an issue and that company gets flagged, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's John down at the cheese plant. I know him. I'll give him a call. We'll take care of this instead of probably going full-blown investigation. I'm guessing, is that, is that possibly what could
2: happen? Oh, absolutely. When things occur at a municipal plant and you don't know why and you have to go find it, when you find it eventually, you're usually not very happy about it. But when there's great communication, you know, you can work together. There's, there's a lot of room within treatment plants to make adjustments for an increase in load or figure out a way that they can bleed that to you. There's a lot of things that can be done.
0: Well, Scaling Up Nation, with technology, there's always the possibility of having technical difficulties, and this was one of those times. We had an internet issue, and we were unable to finish the recording, but don't you worry. The only thing that we missed was the lightning round, and I'm thinking maybe there's some more information we can get John to come back and share with us, so we will ask him the lightning round questions at that time. Scaling Up Nation, I have said it before. One of my favorite things is meeting all the people that I was able to meet because I host Water Treatment's most awesome podcast, Scaling Up H2O. So if you have somebody that you want me to meet, or maybe you're somebody that needs to come on the Scaling Up H2O podcast, please go to ScalingUpH2O.com. Go over to our show ideas page and we would love to talk to you. Now, so many people ask us, hey, what can we do to help the Scaling Up H2O podcast? And as I said in the beginning of the show, you have already done it. But if you haven't, please subscribe to this podcast. And that ensures that each time we release a new episode, and we do that every single Friday, we are very dedicated to make sure that we have a new show for you each and every week. So when you subscribe, you get notified that we have a brand new show. We would love it if you rate this show. If you rate this show, write us a quick review. That helps us with every podcast player that is out there. And by the way, if you find a podcast player that does not have Scaling Up H2O, let us know that too, because our staff really tries to comb the internet. And anytime there's a new podcast player out there, we try to make sure that they get our feed so it makes it as easy as possible for everybody out there in our community to find the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Of course, you can help grow our community by doing what you are doing, and that of course is sharing these episodes. One of my favorite statistics that we have is not only the people that listen. To these podcast episodes, but we have so many episodes that are shared, and that's unusual for a podcast. So please keep doing that. Of course, you can follow us on social media. I will say that our top social media outlet is LinkedIn, it seems to be that's where the majority of the Scaling Up Nation members are. So if you are on LinkedIn, by all means, try to follow us and we will keep you up to date with every episode that's coming out. You will know before others know. It's my hope that you listen to this episode each and every week. And like I always say, if there's anything that you want us to do, don't keep that to yourself. Go to ScalingUpH2O.com, go over to our show ideas page, and we will try to get that on the air. A couple of weeks ago, I got the privilege of doing one of our pinks and blues episodes. And we call pinks and blues episodes, episodes that we just answer questions from the audience. We get to get really down and dirty and technical. And why pinks and blues? I don't know. It just kind of struck me that that's what we were going to call it when I started doing those types of episodes years ago. And that was a term that my father taught me. And I think that's because in our softener test, we would make red water turn blue and determine what the hardness factor was. So from that point on, doing any test of my father was called running pinks and blues. He also called it Betty Crockering, but I don't think that fit for an episode. So there we go. There's the story of pinks and blues. And folks, I always do pinks and blues from what people recommend for me to do, what they have questions about, what they wanna hear about, what they think the audience wants to know. All of those pinks and blues all come from the Scaling Up Nation. They're my favorite episodes to do. Truth be told, they are my hardest episodes to do because I'm not just interviewing somebody that has all of the industry knowledge. I now have to make sure the knowledge that I have is the latest and greatest. And I'm thinking about all the things that we talked about back on episode 336 when we were talking to Swati Sharma and she was telling us how we should deliver content how we should write a paper and I encouraged everybody that there was a paper inside them and hopefully they could present a paper at a conference. Well, I shared in that episode that when we are giving information to others, we are becoming better students ourselves because we're trying to learn more about the topic because we're anticipating the questions that others are going to ask and how we're going to explain those questions. So because of you asking me to do episodes on pinks and blues episodes, I get to do a lot of research. I get to talk to a lot of people and I get to make sure that the information that I am bringing you is the catalyst to get you interested in learning about something you might have already known about, or maybe it's something you knew a little bit about and now you know a little bit more and now you're going to go learn even more on it. And it's my hope You take that and you share that with somebody, not only by sharing the episode, but also by sharing your knowledge because that keeps our community growing. That raises the bar in the industrial water treatment community. And that is our mission here on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And of course, we will have a brand new episode for you next Friday that does that very thing. Until then, have a great week, folks. Nation, it's my hope that whatever you do in the industrial water treatment community, that you do it with excellence. And if you're in the same type of water treatment that I'm in, I do that by maintaining my certified water technologist designation. I know so many of you out there are studying for that prestigious certification and I'm here to help. I've answered each one of the mock exam questions, letting you know the logic behind how questions are asked and also doing all the math to show you how to set things up so you can easily find the right answer and make sure you don't select one of those sneaky wrong answers. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWTPrep Again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWTPrep to sign up today.